This morning's scripture reading will come from the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. If you'd like to read along, I'll be reading from the uh, English Standard Version. And I suppose I ought to put my glasses on where I can see to read. (laughs) While he was still speaking to the people, Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whomever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and my mother. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm very appreciative of your presence. If you're visiting with us, we're very happy to have you. It's always a privilege for us to get together, and especially on an occasion like this, to worship God and to study His precious Word, and we're very thankful for that and thankful that you're a part of our worship today. Uh, I, my head is still a little stopped up, and uh, I'm a little nasal, so if I sneeze or cough a time or two through the course of our Our sermon today, you'll understand, and please overlook that. I apologize for that. Thank you, Phil, for filling in for me last week as I was away being sick. It was rather short notice that Phil was able to step up and do a wonderful job Sunday morning and Sunday night, and thank you very much for filling in. For the men who do lead us in these worship services, I'm always very grateful to you and very appreciative of uh, the work that you do, the singing we've had today, the, the wonderful prayers, the scripture reading. Thank you for all that you do, and leading us in worship and making our worship all the more meaningful. Uh, Today the calendar calls it uh, Mother's Day. And to all of our mothers, I'd like to say uh, we honor you today. We are very happy that we have so many, many mothers with us this morning in our assembly. And we are very appreciative of all that you have done. Where would we be without our mothers? And I want to say Happy Mother's Day to every single one of you, and to uh, say something about that a little bit today that I hope will be very meaningful for all of us. Uh, there's a lot about Mother's Day. I, I didn't realize all the hype that goes on about Mother's Day. I don't know that that's such a bad thing. I was getting my cards, you know, special cards for mothers, my wife and my mother, and the place was full. And uh, I noticed in the card racks, the whole sections of cards were already gone. And uh, a lot of people appreciate and express appreciation, loving kindness for their mothers. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And normally speaking, when we come to our worship services on Sunday morning and, and it's on a Mother's Day like it is today, we expect to hear a sermon on mothers. <clears throat> and and generally, it's a sermon extolling motherhood and, and talking about how wonderful motherhood is from the pages of the Bible, and that's a wonderful thing to do. That's a wonderful study to be concerned about, but I have another thought in mind today. Uh, Mother's Day 
could be a, a sad day for some folks. could be a sad day because of the loss of a loved one. It could remind one of a terrible divorce, which is so rampant in our culture and society. could remind someone of a miscarriage. could remind someone of a loss that they've lived with for a considerable amount of time. Sometimes a day like Mother's Day can be sort of a sad day because you may not have had a mother like the Bible talks about. Or maybe you had an abusive father and uh, your father didn't treat you the way Christian fathers should have treated you and you still live with that. It's kind of a sad day when you think about Mother's Day. Or maybe you're away from your mother. You miss your mother. I remember being away from my mother quite a bit, <clears throat> either going to college or preaching the gospel somewhere, and sometimes it was a sad day because we couldn't be with a loved one that we were remembering or was so important. Maybe we've lost a child. Maybe it's been something that reminds us of some hurtful matter. Maybe family is not a tender subject for us because family was not a good family for us. Growing up, we just didn't have a godly family. Didn't have a godly mother, didn't have a godly father. And we had what's come to be called today the dysfunctional family. And so, days like Mother's Day could be a sad day. And for you, I'm thinking about that. When I talk about mothers that matter and the family that really matters. So let's focus our attention on mothers that matter and focus our attention on what the Bible has to say about the family that really does matter with regard to our life here on earth. And I selected that passage of Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 46 through 50. Now the context actually begins around verse 22. A man came, possessed of a demon, and he could not speak. And he could not see, he was blind. And Jesus uh, cast the demon out of this man miraculously. And that started all sorts of criticisms of Jesus from the critics. The, the Pharisees were there ready to level their charges against Jesus. And it all goes through a rather lengthy discussion, Matthew chapter 12, and comes on down through verse 45 as they talk about this matter. And the exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees over this miracle that only God could perform is a very interesting discussion in the Scripture. Now, I enjoy studying that and talking about that, but my reference point really begins at verse 46 because that's when Jesus' mother appears on the scene. Now, this is a rather unique thing to happen because Mary doesn't show up very often. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, you have the discussion of Mary and the appearance of Mary. In uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse uh, 55, you have reference made to Mary. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Four half-brothers of the Lord, you see. 
and they were naming them. And so Mary, married to Joseph, had children. She had Jesus. She had four brothers to Jesus, half-brothers. And the passage says that she had daughters. And you don't see Mary that much. And even in the Matthew 13, 55 passage, Mary does not show up, but she's identified. And the children are identified. But here, here in Matthew 12, Mary is there. Now, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So by the time you get to Matthew chapter 13 and 46, Mary makes an appearance. And my point is, that's not often. She does not often come up in the discussion. You have a lot of discussion in Matthew chapter 1, a lot in Matthew chapter 2, but she's not on the scene a lot. But here is a unique situation in which Mary does come upon the scene of action. And they want to speak to him. And that raised questions in my mind about why did she and the brothers that I read in chapter 13 want to speak to Jesus on this occasion. Now, it's a pretty, pretty serious situation going on here at this time. It's pretty clear what the Pharisees want to do. Uh, if you go back to chapter 12, verse 14, it's clear what they want to do with Jesus But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Matthew 12 and 14. So it's pretty clear what's going on here. Serious contention between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it's made greater and inflamed by the fact that Jesus has healed this poor fellow that was demon-possessed. And now even more so, they want to get rid of him. And Mary comes upon the scene along with his brothers. And you wonder why. Now it could be that Matthew chap- Mark chapter 3 has given us some understanding on this, so I'll turn to that passage, and I'll read that for you and, and give some indication as to the matter. Then he went home, in verse 20, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying... He's out of his mind. Now, Mark is a little different in his approach to things, and so he interjects verse 20 and 21, and then you have to read down another section or two, and you come to about verse 31, and you see his account of what we're studying today out of Matthew 12. And so he kind of adds a point here and a point there, and it could be that we lose the continuity of thought if we're not carefully analyzing the passage of Scripture as we go along. But it's pretty clear that they're concerned about Jesus. It's pretty clear by Mark chapter 3, 20 and 21, they may be concerned about him, and I think the passage is not to be taken too uh, literally here. His family heard it. He's out of his mind. I think the point that they're making and Mark is making is that he's overworked. He's beside himself. He's working too hard. He's pushing himself too hard. We're concerned about Jesus and what's going on about Jesus. I think we could understand. If anybody would understand the nature of Jesus, it would be Mary. The angel of the Lord came to her and explained to her about the events. Matthew 1, Matthew chapter 2. She goes to Elizabeth, and they talk over the matter. Elizabeth is a child, becomes John, great proclaimer of God's Word, a great desert preacher, John the baptizer. 
And there in turn, if anyone understood about this matter, it would be her. Why do they come to Jesus? They're concerned about Jesus while he was still speaking to the people. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking for him. They're concerned. Jesus' mother appears, and she's concerned about his condition. And if anybody should have known about Jesus, no doubt it would have been his mother, but yet she's concerned. You know, it's just a mother's concern that's being expressed here. She's a mother. She's concerned about Jesus, and the situation arises. Your mother's out there with your brothers, and they want to talk to you. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist described in Matthew 11. Truly I say to you, verse 11, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It was John the Baptist who had his disciples go and ask Jesus, Are you the one? If anybody should have known who Jesus was and what he was doing, you would think it would be John the Baptist. But even John the Baptist goes and asks, Well, are you the one, or should we look for another? And Jesus gives a very interesting reply to the disciples of John. You go back and tell John what you've seen done here. How that the blind receive their sight, and the deaf now can hear. You go back and tell him what's going on and see the things that are being done. And that within itself is answer enough with regard to who Jesus was. Sometimes even people of great faith may have their doubts. Maybe that's what we should take from this. Why is Jesus' mother there? She's a mother. And she's concerned about the situation that Jesus finds himself in While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Matthew 12 and verse 46. And it's a very serious matter by this particular time. Jesus gives a response. There's the passage about the concern. And his response is in verse 47. It's a very interesting passage uh, of Scripture that's given to us, 46 and 47, 48. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my brother and who are my brothers? Now, if you're reading a newer translation, you may not have verse 47. There's a little difference there in the manuscripts, and you and I have studied all about that in prior occasions to be together. Verse 47 and verse 48 are certainly there. Verse 47 is talking about the fact that Jesus is made aware of his family members being out there, and he gives this unusual response. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And it's quite an important truth that Jesus is expressing in the, in the passage. And he's raising a question here that you and I need to consider rather carefully. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus is discounting the significance of his mother? Does that mean that Jesus somehow is saying that his mother and his brothers are just not that important? After all, he asks this question, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he responds with that kind of response. And I thought it would be better if we looked at this question with some serious consideration. Who is my mother? 
And who are my brothers? And it's caused some to say, well, he just didn't have respect for his mother that he should have had. He just didn't have respect for her like you would normally think he should have. And he's kind of scolding her. He's kind of discounting her. But that's just not true. If you'll turn to John chapter 19, you know, that situation about verse 26 where Jesus is on the cross. And that's it. Jesus is on the cross. And it's an experience none of us can really relate to. And even while on the cross, you'll remember that he has concern for his mother. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. Verse 25. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I've read for you John chapter 19. I started about the last part of verse 24, read on down through 25 and verse 27. And the point of the matter is, Jesus had the utmost regard and love and respect for his mother. So I surely should not take away from this question in my study today that Jesus wasn't concerned about his mother. Some writers have tried to forecast even hanging from the cross, in suffering that only I can read about and not really understand. Jesus showed love and concern for his mother. The father's not there. He's probably dead and gone by now. And hell, the oldest son is making arrangements for his mother and putting her in the care and the keeping of John. Jesus always had love for his mother, always had respect for his mother. It was always an important matter with regard to his mother. So there must be something else with regard to this answer, which is the response of Jesus. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he gives an amazing answer to the question. Here are my mother and my brothers. Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother. And my brothers. It's an amazing answer. And the answer boils down to this it's a type of invitation. And Jesus is saying to everyone within the listening of his voice God is putting together a family. It's a special family, it's a family that God had in mind in the long ago. And everyone can be a part of this special family. You can be a part of it. I can be a part of it. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretches his arms out and he's saying, be a part of this special family that God is putting together. God's putting a special family together. It's the family that really matters. I may not have had a wonderful family. I did, but I'm saying hypothetically, you may not have had one. I did, but you may not have had a wonderful family. You may not have had a wonderful mother. I did. I have a wonderful mother. But speaking hypothetically, you may not have had a wonderful mother. You can be a mother that matters. You can be in a family that really matters. 
It could be that I didn't grow up in a family that you see that was so pristine from the pages of the Bible with a white picket fence and everything went well. In reality, perhaps, not me personally, but you perhaps, grew up in a family that was very dysfunctional. And in such a very dysfunctional kind of family, I didn't have the joy and the harmony and the love that I really wanted to have as a child growing up in a family. But Jesus stretches forth his arms and he says, you can be a part of the family, the family that really matters. God's putting together a family and you can be a part of it. And you can be a mother that matters and you can be a father that matters and you can be a brother that matters. And you can be a sister, it matters, because God's got a special family. You can be a part of it. Turn with me to a passage that sort of shocks the sensibilities about us. It's found for us in Matthew chapter 10. I'd like to read it for you, verse 37. Some of the same discussions given for us in this chapter and in this passage. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus said. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 30, 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses life for my sake will find it. And we wonder about that particular passage. You know, especially in light of the way Luke phrases it, and I'll take just a brief moment to turn to that. It's in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, and it's um, verse 26, uh, the verse is given to us there. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and it's kind of shocking the way he says it, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's Luke chapter 14 and 26. And I say, you know, it's kind of shocking language. The shock value there of what he has to say is to say that there's another family that's more important than the physical family that we enjoy around us. And we enjoy our families and we love our families And our families are so important to us. But there's another family. The family that matters. Now you may be surrounded with family members today. Isn't that wonderful? To have family members near you and close to you and be able to enjoy the fellowship of mom and dad or fellowship of children or grandchildren and have those wonderful family members with you today. Family is so important, isn't it, from the standpoint of the Bible? And and God has given us such specific instruction with regard to the family. We want to study it very carefully. But you may not have any family that's here today. It may be that your family can't be here today, or maybe you don't have family here today. But I'm here today to tell you, There's a family that really matters. It's the family of God. And when his mother and his brothers were outside there, and they said, wait, we want to talk to him for whatever reason they were giving. We studied that for a moment, you remember. He said, let me tell you who my family is. 
He took his arm and he stretched his arm out. He said, here's my mother. Here are my brothers. Here are my sisters. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Did he love his mother? Sure, he loved his mother. But there's another family, the family that really matters. And that's the family that you can be a part of. Now, the question is how? How do I become a member of this family? Now, when my children were born, they were added to the family. And that's how they became members of the law's family, because they were born into the family. And you might ask the question, well, how can we become members of this particular family? And you know the thing that I find very interesting, I can talk to people about, you know, are you a member of the family of God? Are you a member? Yeah, everybody claims to be. Everybody claims to be a member of the family. Everybody says, yeah, I'm a member of the family. I'm a member of the church. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. As if just believing were enough to become a member of this special family that God's bringing together. And a lot of people have bought into that. A lot of people have bought into the idea that all I have to do is just acknowledge some loyalty to Christ, some kind of belief in Christ, and I can be added to the family. I can make some kind of declaration that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that's all I need to do to be added to the family. How? How can I be a part of this family that really matters? And how can I be a brother to Christ? Or you be a sister to Christ? And we're not left hanging. That's what I love about the Bible. It'll answer these questions. Sometimes I don't know exactly where the answer is. And I got to think about it. And I got to study about it. And somebody will ask me a question. I think, you know, I never thought about that quite like that before. But I know one thing. The answer is going to be found in the Bible. If there's an answer at all to that question, it's going to be right here. Because the Bible has given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. All I need to do is go to the Bible and search it and find it and look for it. And within its pages somewhere is going to be the answer to that situation. And that's the way it is here, isn't it? We're not left at our own imagination as to determine how to become a member of the family that matters. Or to be a mother that matters. Or a father that matters. I'm not left to my imagination. I don't have to come up with some kind of complicated scheme in order to make this happen. Or I don't have to come up with a lot of uh, fancy kind of theories or very theological, philosophical type of propositions whereby I try to answer this question. The Bible will answer this question for me just as it answers it right here, right now. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Did you notice that? It's in verse 50, and I'm going to read verse chapter 721 in a second. Whoever does God's will is going to be in the family. He's talking about just practical obedience, isn't he? Just downright do the will of God. Practical obedience. How am I going to get into the family? The family that really matters. I've got to obey the word of God. For whoever does the will 
of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's how I'm going to be a part of the family. Bible uses terminology such as being born into the family of God, John chapter 3, to be born again. There in turn, by doing the will of God, I'm added to the family of God. I become a part of the family of God. It's a special family God's bringing together, you see. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 12. God has a special family that he's putting together, and everybody can be a part of it by doing the will of God. Greatest sermon ever preached is the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. I've always called it the Lord's Inaugural Address. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, is the reference that I'm going to for the present, Jesus gives this particular matter clear consideration. In this greatest of all sermons, the inaugural address of the king, the king has come, and, the king, and his kingdom is coming, which is the church. By his perspective at the giving of this passage, it was coming. By our perspective, it is here. It is the New Testament church, Acts chapter 2. The king has come, and his kingdom now is here. He says, now, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, if you want to be a part of this special family, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 certainly applies. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There it is again. That idea of just practical obedience. Listen to the will of God and apply it to your life. Comply with the will of God. Are you in the family? Oh yeah, I'm in the family. Well, why do you talk the way you do then? Are you a family member? Well, why are you using language like that as a family member? Why do you talk like that? Family members don't talk like that. Family members try to live a pure life, a wholesome life, a life which bespeaks our Heavenly Father. But you're using language on the wrong side of the ledger there. You ought not to be using that kind of language as a member of the family, the family that really matters. Are you part of the family? Oh, yeah. I'm a part of the family. Then why do you drink that stuff then? Why are you drinking it? Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. The wino's golden rule. Well, now I can drink. No. Why are you drinking that stuff? You remember the family or not? Yeah. Family members don't act like that. We're part of the family here. Through practical obedience, obeying the will of God for our lives. It doesn't matter whether you have a family at all here on earth. Oh, I know it does matter in an accommodative way, I'm saying. But in comparison to the family that really matters, that's the one that counts and the one that we should give special consideration to. You can be in that. It may be that I have the most dysfunctional family in the world, but I can be a part of the family that really matters. Church of the living God. You part of the family? Oh, yes, I am. Then why do you have an attitude like that? Why do you talk like that? Why do you behave like that? Why do you have such disregard for your fellow man? Why do you have such disregard for your brothers and sisters in the family. Why don't you have a better attitude? Work on your attitude because you're a member of the family. And you should have a better attitude toward others around you. Why be so 
self-concerned. Be more other-concerned because I'm a family member. Are you a member of the family? Yes, I'm a member of the family. Then why do you think the way you think? The Apostle Paul gave us a beautiful passage to help us understand how we ought to think in matters in all fashions pertaining to life and godliness. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now that passage right there, verse 4. You ought to think that, ponder that very carefully. Paul's in prison at the time he writes it, yet he talks about them rejoicing. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The reasonableness that he has reference to there in Philippians chapter 4 and 4 is your kind disposition and spirit. Let that kind disposition and spirit be understood by others. You remember the family? Then why do you behave the way you do? Why, what kind of attitude do you have? Shouldn't that be changed? Let your reasonableness, that kind, sweet disposition of spirit, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's not far from any one of us. And He understands everything that's going on about us. And He knows our comings and our goings and our thoughts are far off. Not that He's afar off, but that our thoughts are known by Him even before we have them. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes surpasses all understanding. I think at verse 7, the peace there, you and I have studied this verse before, is a passage which really talks about the fact we can't fully understand this. It surpasses understanding. But there's another element to that peace that he's referencing in verse 7. I'm in Philippians chapter 4. I'm looking at verse 7. And I'm trying to understand what it means more about being a member of the family that really matters. Being a member of the family that really matters means I understand something of the peace of God. And I know I can't understand it all, but I understand this much. It comes from God. And it's not going to come from that book or that book over there or that view over there. It's going to come from this book right here. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's part of the family, you know, being a member of the family that really matters. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence If there's anything worthy of praise, you see, that's that rhetorical type of approach that he writes about. There certainly is excellence, and there certainly are things worthy of praise, but he writes about it from a rhetorical standpoint. It's a beautiful writer. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the point that he's making in the passage is this is how people in the family are to think. We're talking about how people in the family that matters act and behave and how they treat one another and how they're supposed to think. He's not finished with this paragraph. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Doesn't that mean do them? Practice these things. Now, how did we acquire this understanding? Well, we learned it, verse 9. We've embraced it, that is to receive it. We heard it, and we've seen it. Now we've got to do it. 
That's what it's like to be a member of the family. Practical obedience. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. There's a lot more to it than just that. And so many people have bought into that idea. All I have to do is just say, Jesus is God's Son, or show some kind of loyalty with regard to Jesus, and that's sufficient. No, it is not. That's more to it than that. It's a matter of practically understanding what God wants me to do with my life and allowing the Word of God to control my life. And when the Word of God controls me and guides me, and the Word which the Spirit revealed leads me, that is the Word, then naturally my life is going to change because now I'm, an, a, mem- I'm a member of the family that really matters. And it doesn't matter what kind of family you had here on earth. You can be a part of the family that really does matter. And you can be a brother that matters and a sister that matters in that family. Now you and I need to think about this. Are you in the family that really matters? And every time I ask that question, somebody always says, yeah, I'm a member of the family. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. But we need to think carefully about the matter as to what the Bible has to say relative to my obedience to the will of God. Ponder the point very carefully today. Are you a part of the greatest family in the world? Have you repented of your sins and been obedient to the gospel of Christ by confessing the name of Christ? Been baptized into Christ, born again. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Have you done it? Have you become a member of the family that really matters? Be a mother that really matters. Be a father that really matters. Be a son or a daughter that really matters by being in the family that really matters. Won't you do it today? Won't you come while together we stand and sing?